Welcome to episode 9 of the 3AM Fear podcast. This is the third and final episode in the Lizzie Borden Axe murder series. If you haven't listened to episode 1 and 2, then please do. In this episode, we will go through with what happened to Lizzie Borden behind bars and how did she live the rest of her life. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the 3AM Fear podcast. I'm Nikita Ferrao, mystery and thriller author. On this podcast, I talk about real crimes and real people. Due to the graphic nature of some of this content, listener discretion is advised. You can find the episode show notes on my website 3amfear.com. Let's get started. Behind bars Lizzie changed and was now a weak person who began sobbing and hyperventilating to the extent that the matron at the jail had to call in Dr Bowen to help her out. With all that happened Lizzie Borden did not give up. With the massive amount of money that was now hers and Emma's after her father died she hired the best lawyers for the 1800s. This trial was highly publicized with the media going crazy trying to cover it all. Lizzie's legal team was very well respected and did everything that they could to strengthen her case. I won't go too deep into each of her legal team members but just know that they were the best of the best. No one could match them. The trial started in June 1893. Lizzie was then to be judged by a jury of 12 men as women had not yet started participating. There were also 3 male judges who presided over the trial. Chief Justice Albert Mason, Justice Kayla Blodgett, and Justice Justin Dewey. A decision taken by these 3 judges would change the way the case was going. Everything that Lizzie said in court so far, all the changing stories, the loopholes, everything was not allowed to be put forth to the jury why this was because lizzy said that she was being dosed with high levels of morphine by dr bowen from the day her father died which meant that anything she said she said it under the influence of morphine this morphine was meant to calm her nerves when she was on trial and she was giving out her testimony she said she was under the influence So anything that she said under the influence of morphine could not be used in court. They would also have to make the case without the testimony of pharmacist Eli Benz, who was the pharmacist that Lizzie tried to buy the prosec acid from. Now this was because the Bordens were hacked to death and not poisoned. So the purchase of poison had nothing to do with their deaths. So even this was not allowed in court. I mean Lizzie tried to kill her parents she wanted to kill them that's the whole reason why she wanted to buy this poison in the first place i'm sure that she wanted to get this poison to kill them but unfortunately someone else or some other means of method was used the axe or the hatchet so how can the court just say that this testimony cannot be used because they were not killed by poison they were killed by a hatchet it just doesn't match 
something crazy happened at that time the prosecution exhumed abby and andrew's bodies took off their flesh and brought their skulls to court to show the jury the wounds these people had he wanted to prove that the murder was committed by a wound to the head and not by poison looking at those skulls lizzie immediately fainted and all the proceedings had to be put on hold while the sensitive weak poor woman had to be brought back to life Many people did take the stand like Alice Russell, Dr Bowen, Adelaide Churchill, the matron from the jail where Lizzie was staying till her trial and many more. Now the matron's name was Hannah Regan and she testified that while Lizzie was staying there her sister Emma came to visit her and at that point she overheard a heated conversation between the two of them. During this conversation Lizzie allegedly said to her sister Emma You gave me away, haven't you? For which Emma responded, "No, Lizzie." To this Lizzie said, "You have, and I will let you see. I won't give in one inch." Dr. Edward S. Woods, a blood stain and poison expert from Harvard, testified about the contents of the stomach of Abby and Andrew that day and said that Abby had about 11 ounces of partially digested food and liquid inside her stomach. This showed her last meal had been about 2 to 3 hours prior to her death. Andrew's stomach content showed that the digestion process was further advanced with most of the food being already expelled into the intestine. This suggested that his last meal was about 3 and a half to 4 and a half hours before his death. There was no sign of poison in either of their systems. The milk in their home was also tested for poison, but there was none. Also the claw hammer, two axes and the broken handled hatchet that had been found in the cellar were tested for blood and any other evidence that they could find but nothing Everything seemed so clean if you ask me it was so clean The one small piece of hair that had been found on the hatchet was determined to be 100% an animal's blood probably a cow's The only blood that was found was on the underskirt that Lizzie had given the police. It was 6 inches up from the bottom and it was very small in size, the size of a pinhead, if you would say. And it was determined to be human blood. Now I read through all this testimony but there was no evidence of anyone asking if the blood was fresh because this makes a lot of difference. Maybe it was some old blood and while washing maybe it didn't go maybe Uh, they couldn't get rid of everything they missed a small part so maybe it was an old it was an old little blood but this was never proven i don't think that anyone did any checking to see if it was old or if it was fresh fresh in the sense on the day of the murders an answer to this question whether the blood was old or new would have a lot of uh, impact on their testimony The defense cross examined the doctor and asked if it could be menstrual blood and Dr Wood said yes it could be Now I don't know what to say here on one side the blood was on the underskirt so yes it could be menstrual blood but the quantity was that of a pinhead how could menstrual blood be that of a pinhead It's impossible It's utterly impossible There are more chances of her accidentally scratching herself and getting some blood on her clothes than giving out or losing a pinhead worth of blood every month. 
Moving on, Dr. Wood said that all traces of blood could have been washed off these instruments. However, it could have taken a much more deep and thorough cleansing to get rid of all this blood. If there was any blood on these instruments, it could have easily been washed off, but a person needed to spend a lot of time in order to clean this. If there was any blood on the axe or the hatchet, it could be easy for some to get stuck in the edges or seep into the wood, but there was nothing. The police could not find anything. If the murder weapon was in the house, then it had to be thoroughly cleaned. So much so that the police could not find a single drop of blood on any of the tools. Could this much amount of deep cleaning had been done by Lizzie? Could she have gone through all this, cleaning it down to the last pinhead worth of blood? I mean, she did go down to the cellar all alone that night. She was bent over the sink and she was doing something. Could she be cleaning the murder weapon at that time? It could have been the hatchet because it had a broken handle. So maybe she cleaned the hatchet and then broke off the handle because she could not clean the handle. It was a wooden handle. So of course, blood would get stuck in that. So maybe she cleaned the hatchet and then broke off the handle because she could not get rid of all the blood. And then she just threw away this handle. Maybe that's why the police found this tool and it looked kind of old but it did not match any of the other tools. So she may have just scrubbed it so much that it looked old, but it did not match any other tools in the toolbox. Now coming to the case, there was a lot of speculation and discussions going on in the courthouse regarding the hatchet. A lot of discussions were made and it was a little hard to understand. The reports had everyone, including the judge, talking about the hatchet. They were almost sure that this was it. This was the murder weapon. The defense closed by saying that basically Lizzie had no motive to do this and the wounds that were there on Abby and Andrew were so harsh, so brutal and so many that it would require a person stronger than Lizzie to do it and also it would require someone who was more proficient with an axe. There were also two witnesses who had seen her leaving the barn at 11.03 am, the same time that she said. This gave her a very strong alibi. Furthermore, the murder weapon had never been found and there was no physical evidence that you could find or point to that was connected to Lizzie Borden being behind these murders. Another thing to be noted here is that the note that was meant for Abby, the one that Lizzie said she got, was never recovered. It was kind of a ghost note. There were no tone pieces, no burnt ash, nothing that could be found. It was just Lizzie saying that there was a note. It was almost like this note never existed in the first place. And I believe that maybe it just didn't. Maybe this note didn't exist and Lizzie made up this whole story. Because as we know, Abby never left the house. She was there. She was murdered. So maybe this note never existed. And also Lizzie never actually said who sent the note or this person, whoever may have sent the note never actually came forward throughout this trial. This trial was highly publicized. Everyone knew about this trial. Everyone heard about this trial. Everyone knew what was happening to Lizzie Borden. So of course everyone knew that there was a note. But whoever may have written this note never actually came forward and said, I wrote this note. I was the one who called Abby. No one came forward. In fact, an ad was put in the paper for $5,000 for anybody who could come forward with information about this note. 
now maybe the person who sent it a sick friend or maybe the person who mailed it to them maybe the mailman who carried the note anything nothing could be found i mean $5000 is a very huge amount it's a huge amount today $5000 is a huge amount today so imagine the worth of $5000 back then a very huge amount and still no one came forward it was not like they were blaming it or someone or they were going to put this uh, the writer of the note behind bars it was just that they wanted to know what was in this note what exactly was there or anyone to just tell that yes lizzy was telling the truth and there was this note so if no one came forward just to say that they have written the note or they have seen the note or they have delivered the note means that this note probably did not exist lizzy borden was lying the prosecution said that she was the only one who had the motive to kill she hated abby and she made it clear to everyone how much she hated her how much she hated that her father spent all this money on abby on this case you have a jury of 12 men and for them lizzy was just another poor weak girl someone who was sitting there traumatized holding a fan in the court room they couldn't see her as someone who was capable of committing murder they just saw her as a poor soft little victim the jury deliberated in for about 90 minutes before coming back and giving lizzy borden her not guilty verdict it was said that they pretty much decided right away they didn't need a lot of time she was a poor girl sad girl just lost her parents and she was sitting there in the court room she was just fanning herself because she just fainted after looking at the skulls so they didn't need much but still they took 90 minutes and then they came back and they said she is not guilty if lizzy was found guilty back then she would have definitely been given the death penalty but she wasn't people in fall river were shocked when lizzy borden was acquitted and to their surprise she decided to stay in her home people in fall river were shocked when lizzy borden was acquitted and to their surprise she decided to stay in her home rather than leave town edwin h potter a reporter of the fall river a daily globe wrote and published a book called the fall river tragedy a history of the borden murders this was released in the same year that she went to trial and was acquitted According to the book it was Porter's opinion that Lizzie was guilty and at the time of publication he sold as many copies as he could for 50 a pop that's a lot of money 50 a pop for a book and all those people who once saw Lizzie as a poor sweet little girl now shunned her the Christian Endeavor Society a group that she had been both a secretary and treasury of basically dropped her and ignored her They basically did the same thing to her what she had done to Abby's family for all those years. Any visitor who came into town or close to Fall River would definitely make a visit to the Borden murder house. They would stand outside and look at the place with such tragedy. Gossips flew around and people started flocking in to see. After all this with people coming in to take pictures on the front yard, Lizzie and Emma had enough. They decided to leave their home and start fresh. But Lizzie didn't want to leave Fall River. She was happy there. I think it was kind of a pride thing for Lizzie at this point. You know, everyone's just shunning her out, everyone's blaming her, and for her it's kind of a pride thing. She didn't want to leave because she knew that if she left Fall River, it would mean that 
she is guilty she knows she is guilty and she just wants to take the money and get out so she didn't want to do this and she didn't she didn't leave fall river on august 10 1893 three weeks after her acquittal lizzy borden finally got her dream house in the hill she and her sister purchased a mansion on number 7 french street for $13000 that's a lot of money i mean even for today that's a lot of money their new neighbors were of course not very happy to see the sisters everyone knew about them and they didn't want that negative publicity also due to this popular case now the borden sisters had become so famous that wherever they went the media followed lizzy and emma's neighbors saw them as murderers and they did not want these murderers living next to them By now Lizzie was 32 years old and she should have been hanging out with her friends teaching Sunday school enjoying life but instead she had become the gossip of the town On May 6 1899 six years after her acquittal Lizzie made a report to the police station saying that some kids were throwing gravel at her windows In 1902 the kids trampled through her yard and her gardens wherein they threw rotten eggs at her home and would ring her doorbell and run away. Hilda Griffith, the daughter of the town jeweler, said that every Halloween the kids would pull straws and the loser had to go up and ring the doorbell on Lizzie Borden's house. And of course, how can we forget the jump rope song? The jump rope song started when Lizzie was still alive. The song goes something like this. Lizzie Borden took an axe. She gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Now I'm sure by now you know that it's not 40 and 41 wax, but it kind of made more sense to, you know, because it was more of a song. It was not a blame thing, it was just a song, so it had to have a rhyme. So Lizzie kind of went through a lot with her walking down on the streets and listening to kids singing the song over and over again. She had to listen to the song over and over again. Wherever she went, kids would just start singing and laughing and throwing things at her. In 1905, she changed her name to Lisbeth, and I'm not sure why she did that or what she would accomplish from that. I mean, she was living in the same place with the same neighbors. So it kind of didn't make sense to change her name from Lizzie to Lisbeth but maybe she just wanted to start fresh for herself maybe it was something kind of a personal choice maybe it was a personal choice for almost 12 years it was just Lizzie and Emma Emma was more of an introvert and she was happy but Lizzie wanted to go out she wanted to travel spend huge amounts of money all the money that she got She wanted a different life. At one of these parties in Boston, Lizzie met Nance O'Neill, who was a stage and film actress. Lizzie was a big fan because she spent a lot of time in theater, so she was a huge fan of Nance. Their friendship immediately clicked and they started hanging out a lot. Lizzie was now being invited to all these big parties. She now finally had this life that she always wanted. Now Nance didn't have a lot of money and she was looking for some she wanted someone who had a lot of money and Lizzie had a lot of money but she didn't have friends this was kind of a good match both 
In 1905, excited to have a friend like Nance and to show her off to the close-minded people of All River, Lizzie Borden threw a party for Nance at her home, which she called Maple Croft. The town people were not so excited because actresses back then were not considered somewhat of an attractive person or somewhat of a stature. Attractive in the sense, I don't mean looks, I mean by character. They were not given that respect. The close-minded people sometimes referred to them as prostitutes and Nance was no other for them. There were even rumors going around that there was something more than friendship going on between Lizzie and Nance. And it was not just the townspeople, but even Emma was not happy with this friendship. In 1905, Emma Borden moved out of Maplecroft and Lizzie paid Emma $150 every month for use and occupancy of their home. They never saw each other again. I kind of feel sad here because I have a sister and I can't imagine going on for the rest of my life without talking to her or without looking at her. And it's just sad. I mean, Emma was taught to look after Lizzie. Her whole existence, Emma wanted to look after Lizzie. It was she who taught Lizzie everything. It was she who practically raised Lizzie. Even when Abby was there, Emma raised Lizzie. And now they would never talk to each other again and never get to meet each other again. It kind of breaks my heart. To some extent, I kind of feel bad for Emma also because at the same time, Emma did not deserve what happened to her. As I said in my previous episodes, Lizzie was close to Abby in the start, but Emma could not bear that. She poisoned Lizzie's mind against Abby. And if Lizzie killed her stepmother because of what Emma put into her head, then Emma was the reason that this whole murder took place. So in a way, Emma is responsible for everything that happened. And she did all of this. She poisoned Lizzie's mind. She did everything because she wanted Lizzie for herself. She didn't want Abby in her life. She wanted Lizzie to respect her, to, to be with her like her own daughter. And now everything just turned dark. If Emma would have accepted Abby, maybe both of them would have been alive. Maybe they would have had a beautiful life together. The whole family could have been one. None of this would have taken place. Probably. If, if Lizzie was the one who committed the murders, then yes, Emma's one decision could have changed the fate of everyone's lives. Now, this is just a hypothetical situation. Can't say Lizzie may have turned bad either ways. Maybe Lizzie just had the streak in her. Maybe she just wanted more money. This also could have been an important factor. And I'm sure that Emma did not put this into her. I'm sure that Emma did not raise Lizzie to be a selfish person to want more and more money. I'm sure that she raised her with a lot of love the way that her mother taught her. In an interview that Emma gave in 1913, she said that the happenings at the French street caused her to leave and she refused to talk. She refused to say anything bad about Lizzie. She just said that the conditions became so unbearable that she did not want to live there anymore. What happened to break this dear sister bond is a mystery, one that Emma would take to her grave. But it had to be something very bad, very, very bad because they were so close. So it had to be something so horrible that these sisters would be separated forever. Now Emma died insisting that Lizzie never killed her parents. So the secret to why they split 
she took it to her grave one possibility why lizzy and emma split could have been the affair with nance no matter how cruel emma could have been or how bad emma could have been with her intentions on separating abby and lizzy she was also very religious so maybe she could not stomach this relationship between lizzy and nance anyways nance and lizzy separated 2 years after the big party even though lizzy was alone she didn't let this affect her life she traveled the world she lived a luxurious life everything that she wanted she did it she stayed in four star hotels went to theaters enjoyed her life partied at home she hired a very close group of servants that became her close friends and her family the most notable of which being her driver ernest terry he was also a very close friend to her in early 1926 lizzy borden's health began to fade and she died from pneumonia at home surrounded by her close friends and her servants on 1st june 1927 this was just one month before her 67th birthday and just 9 days later emma passed away they had a 10 year gap and they just died 9 days apart it's just sad at the time of her death lizzy borden was worth about 5 million dollars which in today's money would be around $310,000 she split her money and made sure everyone who was with her throughout her life and supported her would be a part of her wealth now i'll not go too deep into this but here is a gist of how her money was separated and spent she left the city of fall river $500 to continue maintaining andrew borden's grave she left $3000 to her housekeeper and each one of her servants she left the fall river animal rescue league $30000 she left $2000 to her driver ernest $2000 to his daughter grace and another $2000 to his wife ellen she also left ernest terry a lot west of her home that she owned and had purchased before she died she made a promise to ernest terry to help pay for the repairs he needed to be done on his home which he couldn't afford and she paid for that too with a blank check she left a man named charles cook $10000 charles was a business associate of her father's and he also had become a financial advisor for both her and emma's in the days after andrew's death now charles became involved in a scandal he was actually the executor of her will so it became kind of an issue when everyone realized that there was one home that he did not add into the will this was at 328 french street it was called henry house when asked he claimed that lizzie had gifted him this home and he'd sold it but he was accused of fraud and was taken to the court by two women helen wheaton who was 7 years younger than lizzie and also the president of the fall river animal rescue league she had basically approached lizzie and asked for financial help to build the animal league another person was grace hartley lizzie's cousin she had inherited her half of maple croft They took Charles to court and he was ordered to pay the money that he had gained from the sale of Henry House and put the money back into the estate. Charles Cook also tried to tell Ernest Terry that the money from the blank check Lizzie had given to him was supposed to come out of that $2000 that she had already given him. But with that also he could not get away. 
Now that was the end of Lizzie Borden, but here let's come to some of the other suspects in the Andrew and Abby Borden case. Here too, I'll not get too in depth into all these suspects because then it's going to take a lot of time getting into each and every person. So I'm just going to tell you who were the people and why they were considered as suspects. The first is John Winnicom Morse. He is said to have killed Andrew because of a loss in investment. It seems rather silly because why would he kill Abby if he only wanted Andrew? If he had a problem with Andrew, why would he kill Abby? And if he wanted to kill all of them, why didn't he kill the whole family? Everyone was there at home, so why didn't he kill the whole family? It just didn't make sense. John Morse was a butcher by trade, so it is possible if he was the murderer, it would be easier for him to kill them. But he also had a very strong alibi. Remember, he knew everything till the very last detail. So it couldn't be him. William Borden Some believe that Andrew had an illegitimate child named William Borden. Back in the day, when Andrew and Sarah were married and Andrew's brother was married to a woman named Phoebe, Andrew was said to have an affair with Phoebe and William was the result. But there was no proof on this. Now, there were a lot of rumors and speculations going on about William Borden, but no person named William Borden ever came forward. And there was also no proof to such child existing in this world. So even that theory was dismissed. Intruder or enemy? Finally, we come to the most possible, but at the same time least possible theory, an intruder. As we discussed before, the door was locked and it's not possible for someone to just walk in. People were there and Bridget could hear everything. So I don't think it's possible for an intruder to come in, kill Abby, wait 90 minutes, then kill Andrew and then get out without anyone noticing that there was another person in the house. Kind of crazy. What do you think? Lizzie Borden some believe that Lizzie killed her father not because of the money or not because of Abby, but because she was being sexually abused by him. This theory is being projected in some of the movies. If this was the case, if I don't think that in reality Andrew Borden was like that. He was a very loving, very cherishing and a very nice father. But if, if he had done something like this, then this could have been one of the major motives to why Lizzie would have killed him. It's just a theory, so she may have done this out of hatred towards Andrew because he did this and she thought that he was just ruining her life and she wanted to end this once and for all. Or when Abby entered Andrew's life, she may have gotten jealous that someone else was there in her father's life other than her. And when Andrew gifted Abby this house, she may have gotten angry because now she realized that Abby has more worth in her father's eyes than her. And because of this, she decided to kill Abby and then Andrew. Now this is just a theory. I know it's a very crazy theory, but it's a theory that's out there. This story paints a picture that Lizzie was a victim and it's easy for people to believe the story because it means that Lizzie killed them for a very strong motive and they deserved it. So this is one of the theories that why people want to believe that there was something, something wrong with Andrew and Abby because of which Lizzie may have killed them. I personally believe if you ask me, Lizzie did it for money. Her motive was always clear. She always wanted money. She wanted a lavish life. She tried everything as long as Andrew was alive. She tried everything she could 
to do that he gave her everything that she asked for and she still wanted more she always wanted more and when abby got the house she even wanted something out of that too lizzie is a very selfish person she is very cunning she is very smart she has done this only for money that's the only motive that's out there that i believe and there is another thing that i believe and i want to know if you guys think that this may be possible too i think that bridget was in this the whole time i think that this whole story that bridget cooked up even if her story and lizzy's story did not match in court i believe that bridget and lizzy were together on this maybe something happened maybe in the court room they could not give the exact same story maybe because lizzy got scared and she said something else or maybe bridget got scared and she said something else but i feel like bridget was in on this because bridget could hear everything so how is it possible that andrew was getting murdered and she didn't hear how is it possible that abby got murdered and she didn't hear when she was inside the house the whole time if she was in the house she definitely would have heard the screams when bridget was in her deathbed she confessed that she protected lizzy but she never confessed to what she protected lizzy from what was it i believe it's quite clear if we go with the chain of thought that lizzy committed this murders then i don't believe that lizzy could have pulled off this whole thing all alone from the dress to the murder clean up it had to be two or more people at least two people and who better than bridget to do the job who was always with lizzy back then police officers wouldn't just pat you down to check if you have something on you they had to ask permission so it's possible that the murder weapon was in her purse or a pocket in her dress which she later got rid of that's why the police couldn't find the hatchet with the broken handle the first time when they searched they couldn't find anything but the second time they found a broken piece maybe out of care for lizzy bridget covered up for her I doubt whether Dr Bowen was on this but even that is a possibility maybe Dr Bowen was also on this maybe he may not have committed the murders but maybe he knew more i mean he was dosing lizzie with morphine from the first day of trial so it is kind of a possibility now many years later a young boy was trying to recover a ball from the roof of a house that was next door to the borden house on second street While he was up there he found a hatchet which was old and looked like it had been up there for a while but underneath it you could see a glimmer like it was never used Now Abby Borden who was killed first had a piece of this gilt in her skull which the medical examiner confirmed and said it could have been from a new hatchet So it is possible that Lizzie used this to kill her and then just threw it up the roof if anyone found it the neighbors would get caught so she may have just thrown it up Personally I say once again I believe it is Lizzy. I always believe it is Lizzy. Now if you want to visit you can always visit the Borden house in Fall River Massachusetts. You can stay in there and I would love to check it out some day. It is now a museum and operates as a bed and breakfast with 1890 styling. Pieces of evidence used in the trial including the axe head are preserved in the Fall River Historical Society. If you go there or have already been there let me know what you think So with this we come to the end of the three part series of the Lizzie Borden murders what do you guys think who could have done it was it Lizzie 
was it one of the family members or was it just an intruder or a passing by serial killer that's it for the day thank you so much for being here don't forget to follow me on social media especially instagram the links are in my description box you can also find the episode show notes on my website 3amfear.com if you love reading thrillers you can now check out my free ebook available on my website once again thank you so much for being here today and see you next week have a great week and stay safe out there